Well, hey, we're going we're gonna to take a few moments and go to the Bible, about 30 minutes or so, and kind of what we, we do here is we read from this book. We believe um, God wants to speak to us. It was written thousands of years ago. Some people would call it an ancient book of antiquity. Um, it is ancient, but it speaks today. And so um, we kind of go to this every time we get together as a community, and we read the passages that are inspired by God, and we apply them to our lives. And then after that, we'll, we'll pray, we'll stand and sing with the team. So go with me, if you will, Acts chapter 7. If you have a Bible, if not, it's okay. They'll throw it up on the screens. Acts chapter 7. We'll read in two places today. Acts chapter 7. I'm just going to read two verses, starting in verse 9. It says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, and would later make him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Okay, what did it take, what, eight seconds to read that? It's two verses. It took me about eight seconds. What you need to know is those two verses encompass approximately 40 years of a man's life. Right there. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> like, you ever feel like you just get looked over? Like, two verses... And those two verses is about 40 years of Joseph's life. It kind of gives us the beginning of it and kind of gives us the end of it. But there is so much in between. I almost feel like it's inappropriate and disrespectful to Joe up in heaven right now to just gloss over 40 years of his life without at least giving you um, a little context. So can I take two minutes, give you context to those two verses? Joe, he's daddy's favorite boy. He's a teenager. He lives at his dad's house. His dad buys him a nice coat. He gives him designer clothes while his 11 brothers, they wear Old Navy. So his 11 brothers are kind of ticked off. <laughs> if you're wearing Old Navy, so am I. No big deal. Um, so he, they get ticked off. They don't like Joe. They're jealous of him. So one day they take him, they beat him up, they throw him in a pit. And they said, we're going to kill him. Then some Egyptian slaves come by, or Egyptian slave traders come by, and they're like, hey, instead of killing him, let's make some cash. So they sell him, I think it's for like 20, 20 coins. It's very little. It's an insult. So Joe is shipped off to Egypt. He's never been there. He's a teenager. He was daddy's favorite. Now he's a slave. And he goes to this guy's name, Potiphar. This guy's name is Potiphar. He owns an estate. We'll just call him Potty for short. Okay? So Joe... As a slave to potty. We don't know how he's long there. Historians say maybe eight to ten years he's there. He rises in the ranks as a slave. Kind of gets some power, kind of gets some respect. He's second in charge. So much so that Potty's wife, we'll call her desperate for short. Okay, she sees Joe. <laughs> she sees Joe and she's like, I need me some Joe. And so she goes to Joe, says, Hey, you and me, while Potty's gone, we can we could do this. And Joe's like, No, man, I'm a man of God, I can't do it. And she keeps pressing and pressing. And so she finally goes to grab his clothes, which I can relate with that. And Joe runs, leaving his garment with her gets out of the house. She has his garment. She falsely accuses him, cries rape, says he did this. Joe's falsely accused. Potty comes home. He's super ticked, throws Joe in prison. Now Joe's in prison. He didn't do it. He's there and he's innocent, but he's in prison. While he's in prison, two guys show up to him like, yo, Joe, we had a dream. And Joe's like, that's crazy because I had a dream. And ever since that happened, life's gone downhill. But he decides to take the high road, interprets these guys' dreams. One of them's going to die. That's too bad. The other one's going to get out. On his way out, he's like, yo, Joe, when you get out there, man, will you let people know I'm innocent? I'm in here. I was falsely accused. He's like, I got you, Joe. Joe gets out, boom, totally forgets. Two years go by. Two years, Joe's in prison. It's probably about, probably pushing 12, 13 years now that, since this ordeal has begun. Pharaoh, who's like a god in Egypt, he has a dream. No one can interpret it. And all of a sudden, the dude 
think he was a cupbearer. He's like, oh, I got a buddy named Joey. Goes down, they get Joey, they clean him up, wash him up, put him in front of Pharaoh, and he's like, hey, here's my dream. Joe interprets it, and Pharaoh's like, what am I going to do? And Joe's like, I got an idea. Joe tells him the idea. Pharaoh taps him on the shoulder. He's like, you're second in charge of the whole world, right? That actually happens. So then Joe will spend the rest of his life living the dream. He gets married. He has kids. Um, he actually saves his brothers who tried to kill him. He does the right thing. It's an amazing thing. 400 years later, Moses would come back to Egypt. Remember the prince of Egypt? You saw it, Disney, the cartoon, the whole deal. He comes back, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And they're like, okay, we'll let them go. And when they're leaving, they ask for two things from Egypt. One, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, and two, the remains of Joe. You know what I'm saying? This is Joe's life. This is how important he is. So now, let's go back to these two verses. I'm going to read them, but now we'll give it the real respect that it deserves. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Rescued him out of all of his afflictions, gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who later made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. There's so much in between there, and we will get to it. Go with me now to Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Pastor Judah preached out of this passage last Sunday. I'm going to use it again because it's good, and we can do that. It says this, Paul the Apostle. He says, not that I already obtained this or can already or have already perfected. I can't read it up there. <laughs> my eyes are gone. I thought I would do it. I'll just stay here. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make my own, to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God, which is Christ Jesus. So good. Uh, I like to title this talk this morning, Somewhere in Between, Somewhere in Between. God, we thank you for the moments we have. Thank you for your presence that's here. Thank you for everyone who's shown up to church, whether they're here or in many of our locations across Seattle today. God, we thank you that you're speaking to us. You know the details of our life. You're inextricably involved. You care. You care so much. And Lord, I pray that we would see you today. Lord, I pray my words would, would just help point to who you are and what you're doing, Lord. Pray that you would uh, lift our eyes, lift our gaze, lift our hopes. No, we'd, we'd see you in it all. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. Um, <clears throat> how do you handle the gap in life um, of that in-between space, um, of not being where you used to be, but not being yet where you want to be? Because there's, there's a gap there, in case you didn't know that. Most of life unfolds in these in-between spaces, because once you achieve something, there's always something more to achieve. So that's kind of life. It's, it's, this, <clears throat> it's this space of I'm not, I'm not where I used to be, and I'm not yet where I want to be. And there's a tension there. I'm grateful that I'm not where I used to be. If you're me, I don't know what your story is, but for me, I'm actually grateful that I'm not where I used to be. And I sometimes get frustrated that I'm not where I, I think I should be, or at least where I want to be, right? And so it's this it's this in-between space that I constantly find myself kind of living life. In fact, if we're honest, most of us live the majority of our life somewhere in between. <clears throat> um, how is it that the middle of a thing seems to be so much more difficult than the beginning or an end? Am I the only one who feels that way? I just feel like the middle of a thing is difficult. Good point in hand. Pregnancy. <laughs> the women go, hello. The dudes are like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the beginning and ending of that is awesome. Like, you know, first of all, trying to have a baby. My wife and I, it took us about 11 months to try and have a baby. 
I'm not going to lie. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll do that all the time. <laughs> and we do. And then also, when we found out we were pregnant, it was pure joy. Like, is there any better news in the world when you're trying to have a baby to find out that you actually have conceived life? And then the end of it, it's a miracle of birth. Like, if you've ever been in that room, first of all, it's, it's traumatic, but it's also, like, amazing. It's like, we just gave life. Like, there's a life. I mean, but the nine months in between pregnancy... Dear Lord, difficult, right? Like the pain, mood swings, bizarre late night cravings, random outbursts, right? Like the weight gain. And that's just me. Imagine what my wife had to go through. <laughs> it's too easy, right? What is about the middle of a thing? Midlife crisis. There's a reason it's a midlife crisis because you hit about 40, you're like, what have I done and what's left to do, right? It's the middle of a thing. Puberty, dear God. The middle space between childhood and adulthood. Like, condolences to everyone who's in that space right now. It's very difficult. Um, it reminds me of my first two weeks in college. It started amazing. Uh, I made the football team, Division One AA, down in South Carolina. So I felt so proud. My family was proud. I'm getting to move down to South Carolina. My grandparents actually drove all the way from Washington, D.C., just to come down, take me to dinner, and, you know, just celebrate. So, like, I mean, I'm living on my own. I get my own apartment on campus, uh, make my own rules, don't have to make my own bed. You know, I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm living the dream. In the end of those first two weeks, I lost 24 pounds because it was two-a-days. In South Carolina, so actually was the tonus, leanest, meanest. I mean, I was, I was looking good, you know what I'm saying? And I was out, and I was helping a buddy change a tire, and it started raining there, there in the south. And this girl, who I thought was beautiful, walked up to offer us towels. You know, and I was like, I know why you're walking up. It's because my shirt's on a button, you know. And she's like, who is that man candy? <laughs> I was like, I get it a lot. It's not a big deal. Um, but honestly, that's my wife. I've been married to her for 20 years. We weren't dating then, but she came up, and I think she was like, holy Lord, you know? And she, clearly she married me for my looks, and I'm okay with that. And, um, but you could say, like, it kind of ended with me finding the woman of my dreams, right? Like, that's how it ended. But the, the two weeks in between that great beginning, and it was absolutely, do you know what two-a-days are? Do you understand? Like, it's a sports thing. Like, when you're getting ready to do a sport, you do two-a-days. So it's like seven and a half hours of practice during the day. I was in South Carolina, the heat index, 110 degrees. So we're out there. I'm a lineman. We're not supposed to be out in that kind of heat doing anything, but we're playing football, vomiting, dehydrating. I don't know. Five days in, I'm going up against a guy named Buddy. Buddy, I think he was six foot nine, 300 pounds, genetically engineered to destroy other humans, right? Like literally bred to do that. And he says he inadvertently caught me between the pockets. Now, if you don't know what that means, I can't help you, okay? But for those who know, I mean, it was one of the most painful experiences of my entire life. I, for 35 seconds, I couldn't even breathe. I think I went blind temporarily. Like, it was so much pain. And I remember thinking as I'm laying there on the, on the field during practice that they're going to stop practice and, like, bring out the medical crew. Nope. Two, two hands grabbed my ankles. They literally pulled me off the field. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did not matter. And it became very clear. Pulled me off the field, dropped me on the side, and I hear someone say, shake it off, Huffman. I'm like, shake it off? Yo, my reproductive system has just been destroyed, okay? I'm practically a eunuch, and you want me to shake that off? I remember limping back to my apartment after practice. I mean, this, this is like a weekend, limping back. I can't even feel the lower half of my body. And I get into my apartment, and I had gone shopping because I'm a grown man. I live on my own. I can eat whatever I want. So I got myself some macaroni cheese and some clam chowder. I think cottage cheese. I got a thing for cheese. So whatever. I had all this cheese. 
And it dawns on me as I get into my apartment as a grown man that I don't own a microwave, nor do I own eating utensils. Because mom and dad always had that, right? I'm like, I didn't know we had to get that for ourselves. So I'm sitting there. True story. I start to cry. I'm seven days into two days at college by myself. I can't handle it. I'm overwhelmed by that. And so I'm crying. Picture a 300-pound lineman sitting on the floor in his apartment, has no furniture, eating macaroni cheese cold with my fingers. And just crying. Like... And to make it worse, later on I went to use the facilities only to find out way too late that I also don't own toilet paper. <laughs> True story. Like I wasn't ready to be an adult, you know what I'm saying? What is it about the middle of something, whatever you're going through, that like it just makes, it's just difficult. I think this how we kind of go through life sometimes. It's like, man, I, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm in between. And how do we navigate those spaces? I'd like to take the next 25, 30 minutes and kind of just unfold, unpack for us. How do we, how do we actually navigate these in-between spaces of life, which we'll find ourselves in most of the time? Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this, and it's talking about how essentially life unfolds in seasons. I've said this before, so quick review. For everything there is a season, the time for every matter under heaven. Life happens in seasons. Life unfolds in seasons. It's not just one continuous story. It's, it goes in every season. Every purpose in your life happens in seasons. You need to understand real, real quickly here that there's two things about seasons that are important to know. Number one, you can't argue or fight with a season. It's just, it doesn't care. Who are you going to argue with? Your opinion doesn't matter. Um, the leaves are going to fall, temperature's going to drop, the birds are going to fly south for the winter, right? They don't need your permission, and they're not looking for your input. It just doesn't matter. Like, seasons come and go without any input from you. And so if you're going to try and fight those seasons, you're going to be very frustrated all the time. It's the same with the seasons of life. Honestly, you can't force winter to leave, and you can't sweet talk spring to come any earlier. None of that can happen. You're just going to have to go with the flow. For those of us who have been in church most of our lives, I would even say to you, maybe stop praying God rescue you from your season. Because he's not going to because you're praying the wrong prayer. God doesn't rescue us from our seasons. He helps us get through them and he helps us learn something in them. But he's never pulling you out because he chose to do it in seasons. Second thing you need to know about seasons, they're always temporary. And I don't know if that's good news for you or bad news for you, but it's a fact. They're always temporary. Do you hate the cold? Relax, man. The temperature will rise again. Do you love the cold? Well, don't get shocked when it gets hot out, okay? Like, it's, they're always going to be temporary. It's not always going to be the way it is. So if you're, if you're in a hard time right now, it's okay. Like, it's going to pass. If you're in a good time right now, be like, well, hey, get the most out of that. But don't think, like, this is it, and the story's over, and it's just going to be fairy tales from here. It's not. Seasons are temporary. Joseph has five distinct seasons that I like to talk about in the next the remaining time we have, I think they can help you and I, wherever you find yourself, navigating this in-between space that we see. Number one, first season of Joseph is he had a dream. This is, um, this is, this is representative of the beginning, the start. Um, this is where, like, God puts something in your heart. Uh, it's not a mystery. It's not hard. God actually has a purpose for your life, and he wants you to know what it is. So many times we're like, man, I just don't know what the plan of God is for my life. Well, it's easy to find if you just stick with God because he wants you to know. He's not trying to hide it from you. It's not some crazy game. So this is the beginning where, like, God puts something in your heart. You're like, I think, 
I think I was made for this. I think I was designed for this. I come alive when I do this. And you can have more than one, by the way. It's the dream. It's the beginning of a thing. Now, the temptation is to stay there because it's comfortable, it's known, and it's safe. So a lot of times we get a dream like, man, it's so good to dream. But if all you ever do is dream, you're never going to accomplish anything. And so the purpose of the dream is to get you to move out. And so if you're just like chilling, relaxing, like this isn't a spectator sport. This isn't a movie where we sit down and eat popcorn and watch life go by. No, actually, there's a role for you. God has a plan for you, and you're supposed to be in the moment and play your role. And God will help you do it. I'm getting old. We were driving across the 520 bridge, the family and I, the other day, and it was sunset. And have you ever gone across the bridge into Seattle? It's sunset. It's gorgeous, right, on Lake Washington. And so we're driving across, and I'm just, because I'm old, like I, I care about these things now. Like, look at that. Nature's unfolding right in front of our eye, you know? I don't know. I'm totally my dad, and I was like, I'm never going to be that guy, and I'm that guy, and I'm only 40. So anyway, so nature's unfolding, and I look, and my wife's on her phone. All three of my kids are just on their phone, and I'm like, hey, life is happening right in front of you, you know? I'm like, why don't you guys take a look? Like, you just, I mean, do you see the sunset? My daughter's like, I am looking at the sunset. I'm like, no, you're not, Seren. You're looking at your phone, and she, like, shows her Instagram photo to me, and oddly enough, her photo looked better than the real thing. I was like, okay, that backfired, right? <laughs> but it's like, we have to be in the moment. So, like, if you have a dream and you have these plans and you have this thing in your heart, whether it's for, for business or whether it's for your family or whether it's for your life or whether it's goals that you have or whatever it is, God put that in there and you're supposed to do something with it. You're not supposed to just sit on it and think about it. Which gets us to the second season that we see, Joseph, which is in stark contrast to the first one. The second season is the bottom. Joseph gets thrown in a pit. And he hits the bottom, which is crazy because, like, just a few hours ago in our narrative, Joseph was daddy's favorite, wearing designer clothes. His brothers are in bunk beds while he's got his own queen bed in a suite. Like, he's living the life, and a few hours later, he is literally in a pit, thinking he's going to die, being sold into slavery. Is it crazy how quickly life can just shift on you? Right? Especially when the bottom drops out. Majority of life, I would say, is lived at mid-altitude, kind of just normal, everyday life. Sometimes we get these, these high-altitude moments, like marriage, first kid, sign that contract, get that promotion, right? Um, get the blue check mark next to your Instagram name. You know, all these, like, super important, high-altitude things. But then, on occasion, the bottom drops out. And I could spend time trying to describe to you what the bottom is, but if you've been there, you already know. I'm willing to bet the majority of the people in this room have been to the bottom. The bottom is, uh, well, there's just, there's nowhere up from the bottom. Uh, It was when my 16-year-old brother stood next to me as we buried my dad six feet under at age 50 because murder, because cancer murdered him. And he said, explain this to me. And I looked to heaven and said, explain this to me. And the explanation never came. Well, that's the bottom. It's after 30 years of marriage, seeing your parents get divorced. How does that happen? Oh, because the bottom dropped out. It's uh, the doctor telling my wife and I that your baby girl might not live because of a brain surgery, and there's a good chance she won't be normal. And there's the bottom. Like, you've been there, right? I mean, we could just take all day now and just kind of like get somber and be like, the bottom. Because it's real. Some of you right now are there. Like, you came to church. Hats off to you. Thanks for being here. I think God's got something to say to you, but there's a good chance you're like, yeah, I'm not really expecting much, man, because I'm so low. I just give us something to remember if you find yourself 
or when you find yourself at the bottom. Remember this, no matter how bad it gets, no matter where you are, you will never go where God is not. Fact. You will never go where God is not. He's with you. Always has been, always will be. How do you think God got into Egypt? Before Joseph showed up, Egypt was an absolutely godless place. There was no mention of God. God was not there. Pharaoh was God. Pharaoh is God in Egypt. God, the God we're talking about, he has no place. But when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, guess who went with him? God. There's this one verse in the Bible that says, if you choose to make your bed in hell, not if someone threw you in hell, but if you chose to make your bed in hell, God would be there with you. You cannot go where God is not. He is there with you. He will be. So if you find yourself at the bottom in a pit, know that God is with you. It's interesting to note what Joseph says when he's in the pit, when he's at the bottom. Um, Genesis 37, this actually unfolds through Genesis 37 and Genesis 50. It's 13 chapters. You can read it on your own. But in Genesis 37 is where Joseph is thrown in the pit. Here's what he says. Nothing. Because just a few hours earlier, the moment he started talking, he got in trouble. So I think Joseph learned a lesson. He doesn't say anything in the pit, which I think is a lesson to you and I. If you find yourself in the worst of times, the worst thing you could do is start yapping, complaining, and whining about it. Now, I'm talking to myself. You're like, whoa, chill out, pastor. I'm talking to myself so I can talk that way, right? Like, that's the worst thing you can do is just start to talk to people, other people. Talk to yourself, self-talk. Like, man, this is terrible. It's the worst thing. I can't even believe it. So unjust. It could be unjust. It might be terrible. It might be wrong. But what good would it do to talk about it? Growing up, in our family, like we had a, uh, like a, a no whining policy in our house, which I would tell my kids, I don't have to do it anymore, they're much older, but when they were kids, I'm like, listen, we don't whine. In fact, I don't even understand what you're saying when you're whining, because it's a different language. So they'd be like, dad, I just wanted to. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't understand. Like, I don't speak that language. I don't, but no, because my need. I'm like, sorry, it's all gibberish to me. Like, you know, if you want to talk like a human, then we can have a conversation. Because it doesn't serve any purpose, by the way. And you're like, okay. Oh, okay, so if I'm going through a tough time, just, just stuff it, just internalize it, Pastor. Is that your advice to me? Just become passive aggressive? No. Uh, Psalms 142. David is going through a very, very tough time, and here's what he says when he hits the bottom, when he's, when he's in a tough place. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. Catch this. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Did you catch that? If you're going to complain, complain to God because he can handle your complaints. Like your spouse probably get jaded. Other people might get offended. Other people might take the wrong impression, get the wrong idea. But God is God. He doesn't get jaded. He doesn't get twisted. He doesn't lose his perspective. God's never going to be like, whoa, good point, Billy. I don't know. Maybe we should all quit. You know? That's never going to happen because he's God. Are you mad? Are you angry? God can handle it. So David said, I poured out my complaints to God. And then it goes on in verse 3 to say that God knew my way. So if you've lost your way because you're so angry and you feel so much injustice has happened to you, understand that even in that, God, if you pour out your complaints to him, if you'll take it to the right place, God knows your way. And he'll remind you like, hey, 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 I get all that. Here's where we're going. Don't just stuff it, but learn to talk to the right person at the right time. Joseph, in the pit, the Bible tells us that he poured out his complaints before God, apparently, because he didn't voice it to us. Nothing in Scripture records it, so he must have been talking to God because God follows Joseph through his whole season. Listen, God won't give up on you. Don't give up on God. 
he won't give up on you. And if you have given up on God, he still hasn't given up on you. So you could just jump right back into this. The third season we see Joseph get into is the temptation. Remember Potty's place? Shows up to Potiphar's. And desperate housewives, restless husbands, they're all there. And so that's the temptation to do wrong, to sin. And you're like, okay, well, thanks, Pastor. We're in church. We kind of figured you would throw that in there. Yeah, and I'm, I am talking about the temptation to sin, but I don't think that's a season. I think that's life, just so you know. Like, there's always going to be opportunity to make a bad decision. And so thank God for God, his grace, also for his ability and his, his grace in our lives to not make those bad decisions. He helps us, and when we fall, he picks us back up. But I'm not actually talking about sin. I'm talking about the temptation to settle for less than God has for us. Because that is a very real temptation for Joe right now. Here he is. He was a slave. God told him he would be a ruler. And he's in this estate. And he has a level of power and authority. He's second in charge. He's got some privileges. He's probably making more money than he ever had at his dad's house. Right? People respect him. Now, we all know he's actually still a slave. But he's a slave with a lot of benefits. He's even got desperate housewife throwing herself at him, right? Like he, I mean, there's a lot of things this man could be like, you know what? Maybe this is, maybe this is it. Like, have you ever asked yourself this question? Maybe it's as good as it gets. Like, have you ever looked at your, your situation in life? and be like, you know what? This isn't terrible. I've always kind of felt like there would be more. I always kind of felt like God called me to more. But maybe this is as good as it gets. And the temptation is just to settle. Like, wow, okay, you know, I'll just. So for Joe, he could have. He could have been like, you know what? I'm just going to embrace it. I'm in Potiphar's house. I'm going to probably sleep with his wife, keep it on the down low. I'm just going to kind of like just do, do my thing. He's never going to be fulfilled. He's not living. He wouldn't be living the life God called him to live. Have you ever seen um, someone sleepwalk? Have you ever witnessed that? I'm part of the Sleepwalkers Club. I don't do it anymore. I used to it a long time. I once woke up when I was 12 years old in Chicago, behind a bush in the middle of a blizzard at two in the morning. I woke up and I was just shivering. I was crouched behind this bush and I had been sleepwalking. I didn't know what was happening. It took me five minutes just to orient and follow my tracks back to my house. You know, like, so I have two sons, I've passed it on to them. They're six foot three, they're gigantic. And when they sleepwalk, it's scary, genuinely scary. So scary that my little, my little daughter, when she was like seven years old, she used to pray, Jesus, please. Don't let my brother sleepwalk because it scares me really bad. You know, and I'm like, it scares me really bad. My son Judah was sleepwalking like, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And like, have you ever seen a sleepwalker's eyes? Like they're open and they're conversing with you, but they are not there. They're like half awake. So I'm like, he's like, he's like saying really crazy things and he's a big man. And I'm like, Judah, wake up, man. He's not waking up. He's like, I gotta go. I gotta go. And I'm trying to stop him and he's pushing me out of the way. And so I, I slap him, you know. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that <laughs> over the mic. He's 19. He's like a man. <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, why'd you slap him? Just to be like a tough guy? And like, no, because I'm scared. You know, I'm like, he's going to hurt us. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. It's scary. My one son, Caleb, who's also six foot three, we used to live 20 stories up in a condo. And he one night bent, he was sleepwalking, bent the door handle so much trying to get out of our patio that he broke it, literally broke it off the door. Had it not been locked, my son would have like gone to be with Jesus much sooner than I had hoped, right? Like sleepwalking is dangerous and it's scary. And now I'm gonna drop a metaphor. It is frightening to watch someone hit autopilot and blindly walk through life. Don't live halfway. But some of us 
Well, all of us, the temptation is there to just live halfway. Well, my marriage is okay. It's better than his. Oh, so that's the standard then. Oh, so that's how we're going to do it. Oh, well, it's better than like that, 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 that relationship that's failing. Oh, okay, well, good for you then. Or maybe there's more. Or maybe God has a plan for you. And I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it won't, it won't be without its ups and downs, but maybe there is a path and a plan that the world is trying to get us to settle. And be like, I'll just, I, I guess I'll just take this. And God's like, no, 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 what I have for you. But you have to keep. You have to keep trusting. You have to keep focusing on Jesus. We can't settle. Okay, thanks. <laughs> the fourth season is, uh, I'll call it the waiting, which literally sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> right? I think it is. Uh, the waiting. Like if you've been in church any time, you, you've heard this before, like God's time is not your time, which is pretty much just like a, a verbal smack in the face, right? Like just punch me in the head. Like, but it's true, the waiting. Joseph gets thrown in prison. Now, I don't know how long it's been up to this point, 11 years, something like that, since he got the dream, and it's just gone down. And now he gets thrown in prison for something he didn't do. And in prison... These two guys come to him like we had a dream, which says a lot about Joseph. But you understand, God was with him even in prison. The Bible tells us that he rose to prominence in the prison. He was over the other prisoners, like the prison warden put him over the other prisoners. So everywhere he goes, God's with him. He knows God's with him. So instead of getting mad at these guys, being like, you had a dream, I had a dream. <laughs> you know, like, which is our tendency. Like, I don't want to hear about your dreams. My dreams are falling apart. He's like, all right, what's your dream? And he helps these guys out and says to this man, the cupbearer is like, when you go back to Pharaoh, please let him know I'm here. The man leaves, and he forgets. The Bible says he forgets Joseph, and it'll be two more years in prison. Now, this is, this is the waiting. This is the test. I don't think it's a test God puts on us. I think it's just life, and it tests us. Have you ever been like, my goodness, like how much more must I endure? How much longer should I go? Like, just waiting and waiting. And it just seems like, almost like God forgot you, at the very least, just took a cosmic lunch break right in the middle of your most important life moment. Like, like you're like, God, are you there? And it's like, no, he's out drinking tea and eating crumpets, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's British, apparently. <laughs> forgotten. Like, just just forgotten. Like, and here you are, and you're waiting for God. So the Bible says Joseph will sit in that prison for two years. Two years he will sit there waiting. This is where the reality of giving up becomes very, very real. And I'm not just talking about like, man, I'm so tired. I just think I'm going to quit. No, no, I'm talking about like when you're like, no. Like, I'm not joking. I'm not being emotional. I'm actually very level-headed. I quit. I quit the job. I'm done with this relationship. I quit. God forbid life. I quit. It's too much. Too long. Too hard. I'm done. Like, that's a real place. I feel like when we're in this season, if you find yourself in this season, you got two options. One, give up. It's an option. People say quitting is not an option. They lied. You could do it. Two, let go. You're like, well, those are the same things. No, 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 they're very different. 
Giving up is an act of despair. Letting go is an act of trust. Very different. When I give up, it's like I give up. I give up on God. I give up on you. I give up on you. I give up on me. I give up. I'm done. It's hopeless. If I say I let go, what I'm saying is like, okay, I clearly can't do this anymore. Like I, I, I don't. I'm, so I'm gonna let go and trust by letting go that there is a God who's in control and somehow He is working behind the scenes. He's got a plan. So I'm just gonna. All right. That's letting go. It's it's an act of faith. Like, I've said this before, and I kind of live my life like this. I think the sum total of following Jesus, what we call Christianity, is me holding on to him, holding on to me. It's the fact that he is holding on to me. It's not me, because if it's up to me, like, I'm going to lose my grip. I promise you I will. You will too, by the way. How long can you actually hold on to God? It's like when my daughter was little, I would carry her on my shoulders and she would wrap her heads, hands around my head because she thought she was going to fall off. And she would literally squeeze my brains out. And she was convinced in her little mind that like, she was holding on to me. Meanwhile, my hands completely enveloped her thighs. She couldn't fall off if she tried. If 1,200 men tried to pull her off, they couldn't. You know, like, she's never getting away. But in her mind, she's like, no, if I, if I let go of daddy... I'm going to fall. No, no. And it's, it's like a picture with God. Like, you actually think you're holding on to him? Really? Man, you're good. You're better than me. The truth of the matter is, he's holding on to you. That's why I love Isaiah 40, 31. It says, they that wait. <sighs> Key word, wait, which implies two things. Um, waiting, like, anytime, Lord. And also, towel over the arm. Wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, if it's us holding on to Jesus, that verse doesn't make any sense. Because if I'm holding on to him, I'm getting tired. So what it should be is those that wait on the Lord are going to get really tired. I'm going to get frustrated. The attitude's going to go south quick. You know what I'm saying? Because if, if, if it's us holding on to him. But no, in fact, it says, no, if you're waiting on God, you actually get stronger. You rise up higher and you run faster because he's holding on to you so you can actually go through life catching your breath regaining your composure because it's God that's doing so I can renew my strength because he's holding on to me you find yourself in the waiting season take heart don't give up in fact if you if you came in today saying that's it I'm gonna I'm gonna quit in this area can I just propose maybe try letting go first Maybe just try letting go. Say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stay at it. I'm going to trust that you're God. I'm telling you what, that's how we're supposed to live life. And then the fifth season, we see Joseph is the fulfillment. The fulfillment, like the, the promise comes true. He goes from prison to palace. That's what happens with Joseph in a day, by the way. At this point, historians will tell us we're talking about 15, maybe as long as 20 years, give or take. But in a day, he goes from prisoner to palace. So like if you were, con if you were concerned that like time was running out for you, um, you're good news, God isn't involved in time. So like he shoulder taps Joseph and in a day, he's the second most powerful man in the whole world, the whole world. So you're like, man, I don't know. I don't have enough time. Really? Because God like oversees time and he's not on your timetable. And so if you feel like, man, I mean, my life has been wasted, really wasted because he could redeem in one week what you couldn't do in 10 years. Like God could do it in one week because he's God. 
Like he could do that. Oh man, I'm, I'm 40 and I haven't gotten married yet. Okay, well I'm willing to bet that the next 40 years of your life or the 10 years of marriage will be more fulfilling than 50 if it wasn't in God's plan. Like he's God. That's what he does. I used to always kind of feel like the fulfillment of God's promises would be like I'm 99 and I walk the walk, the walk fought the good fight, and Jesus enters me into the sweet by and by. You know, and I show up, I'm like, what up, Jesus? You know, I'm like, you made it. Joseph is in his 30s. He's in his 30s when this happens, when he hits the palace. He will live to 110 years of age. So he will spend like 75 years living fully in the promise and dream of God. Oh, man. So like you could do that right now. Like you don't have to be like, man, the dream of God, the purposes of God, like it's, it's way off. You could be in it right now. Like you don't have to wait until you're 100 years old or until you die and go to heaven. Joseph lived out. He got married. He had kids. He saves his family. He, he lives the dreams of God. Were there, were there challenges? Of course there were challenges. There will always be challenges. Were there more seasons? Of course there were more seasons. Life unfolds in seasons. But in the midst of it, he could say, I'm right here where God wants me. I'm living the dream. That's what God's called us to do. Joseph... Joseph didn't lose weight. So when I, read, when I read Paul's words back in Philippians 3, 13, when, he, when he, he paints this word picture, which he's literally, he is literally one of the fathers of the faith is referencing what we were talking about in the Old Testament, this in-between space. Now in the New Testament, he references, he says, he says, forget what is behind over here and strain towards what is ahead. And he is putting himself and he's inviting us to join him in this space in between what was and what will be. And he's saying, this is how I live my life. So he's acknowledging first and foremost in this verse that this space exists. So stop fighting it. Stop being upset about it. Stop wondering where's God in all of it. It's, God is right there in that space. It exists. You're not where you were, thank God. And you're not where you want to be. Okay. And Paul's like, okay. Forget what is behind. The good and the bad. Like, dear God, you're not the quarterback in high school anymore, man. Like, get over it. The glory days are gone. And, and that pain that happened to you, it wasn't your fault, and you can't let it define you today. Like, forget what is behind. Don't go back there. And strain towards what is ahead. Like, you see it, but it doesn't consume you to where you can't even enjoy what is. Like, okay, I see it. So Paul's like, in this space. So he acknowledges the space, and then he, and then he tells us how to live in that space. He says, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what lies ahead. And here's how we live in it. He goes on to say, in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. And who? And Jesus. So Paul's like, how do, you, how do you live in this space? You keep your focus on Jesus. Like, keep your eyes on the prize. What's the prize? The achievement? No, no, no. It has nothing to do with any of that, in fact. Talk to a lot of successful people in our community. You say, like, did you feel so fulfilled when you finally had the dream? I'm like, wow, it was awesome, but no, actually, like, kind of thought, like, there has to be more. There is more. It's Jesus. He's like, how do we live in this space? Focus on Jesus. It's a big space in between where you were and where you're headed. It's easy to get lost unless you keep your eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. My sons were nine and ten, Judah and Caleb. 
They came to Jen and I and they said, can we go take a bike ride by ourselves, which is a big deal. Up to this point, we'd never let them ride the bike on their own. Like, I always go with them. I'm super protective, is what it is. On this day, I don't know what made me. I was like, okay, time to be young men. Okay, you can go by yourselves. Which they were like, what? You said, we can go by ourselves? I'm like, yeah. So they were super excited. They went and got their backpacks. It's a quarter of a mile away. Honestly, I think it's like to the end of the parking lot out there and here in Kirkland. But for them, it's a big deal. Like we're going without dad and mom. They packed granola bars, vitamin waters, band-aids. True story. Like they were ready for anything that would happen. And I remember like we're pumping up their tires and we're just kind of making a big deal about it. And I had, I had honestly given them a cell phone. So like, there's, what are they going to do? But, um, and did I actually tell them? Yes, but don't tell them that happened. I did follow from afar. I have issues. But they were going on their own in their own minds. I'll never forget, as they're getting ready, they're super excited. And then I noticed my second oldest son, Caleb, and he was nine at the time. And he, he started to get a little tentative and they're doing, and he started like, you know, I could tell like he was, nervous and you can see like fear in his eyes you can you can see it in your kid's eyes and so I'm like buddy what's wrong aren't you excited and he just he looked at me and he just started crying so it caught my attention I'm like bud what's wrong why are you crying and he asked me this question he said daddy but what if we get lost and it hit me in the moment like in the moment it hit me like getting lost is a real risk you know that right I'm talking to a bunch of adults here this morning, but you, you know, like getting lost in this life, that happens. I'll never forget what I said. I didn't, in the moment, I didn't realize it afterwards, retrospect, right? I said, bud, come on, I'm your dad. I know where you're going. I know how to get there. And you can't be lost because I can easily find you somewhere in between here and there. Like, you can't get lost. And can I just say that to us this morning? I'm not your daddy, but your heavenly father. Can I say that on his behalf? Like when you're with God, you can't get lost because he's with you. So you're only just somewhere in between. That's, that's, you're just in between here and there. You're not lost. And you might feel lost. And I feel that for you this morning. I know what that feels like to be like, I am lost emotionally. I am lost spiritually. I am lost relationally. Life, I'm lost. I don't even know which way is up. But you're not lost if God is with you. Like if you, if you have put your trust in God, then you cannot. I propose you can never be lost because he's with you. And so at the very most, you're just somewhere in between. And he will find you. And I've been serving Jesus my whole life. I'm 41 years old. My whole life I've been doing this thing. And I, I got found in the beginning, and I, he has found me multiple times in life. He didn't just find me once and like, that's it, I got found. No, 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 man. I have, you could say I was walking with Jesus and all of a sudden just got as lost as I've ever been. More lost than I could ever imagine. Life, you get lost in it. Pain, you just get lost in it. And Jesus found me. You're like, oh, how did you find Jesus? You find him? I tried. Like I came to places like this, which we should. The Bible tells us we should. But I was, I was blind. I couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just, whew, he finds you. And no matter what you're going through, that's what makes Christians crazy sometimes. People are like, how can you be happy, man? Like, you're going through all this trouble and pain. Like, it's like, oh, well, I mean, I probably because I have God. So, like, I'm not quitting on life. Like, don't you just want to quit? Well, yeah, but I don't have to because... Like, it hurts. I cry myself to sleep at night, but not out of despair, more just out of, like, mourning and grief because it hurts. The pain's real, but Jesus is with me in it. 
and I know he's working. I know he's in control. I know that the better days are, are to come. And I know that he's, he's going to get me through it. Really? Yeah. You can't be lost with God. You're just right in the middle of it. And he knows where you are. He knows how to get to where you're going. And if you focus your eyes on Jesus, I promise you, we're going to make it. And it just won't be heaven. We'll make it here and now. And we'll live our best lives today. Amen? God, I pray that you would. You would be so real to every person in church today. Some of us have been here for a while, been doing church for a while. Some of us, this is our first time. Regardless of where we fall in that category, those of us, church has become normal. I pray you would make it unnormal right now. Make it new again. We'd see Jesus in the midst of our circumstances. For those of us that have walked in, never even heard talk like this, never even felt the things they're feeling, they would know that you love them and you're there for them. I pray for people that are lost today. Lost in their soul. Lost in direction. In their emotions. Father, I pray that you would right now, in this moment, right here, would you to heal them. Just as only you can. Those of us that find ourselves in the bottom, Lord, would you lift our eyes. Those of us that have been waiting and waiting and waiting, would you restore our hope? Help us to trust in you afresh. Father, thank you for the promises, the promises of, of God that are, that are true and we can bank on them. Thank you for that. With every eye closed, I'll give you opportunity. Church, today, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, the Bible makes it very clear. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It has nothing to do with church membership. It has nothing to do with your moral integrity. It has everything to do with you simply choosing to signal heaven. and Say, God, I made a mess, and I need you to save me. And that is the beauty of this, because he will. He's the Savior of the world. It's what he does. So I don't deserve it. Exactly. Neither do I. Well, I, I don't even know what I believe about him. It's okay. I don't, you're never going to fully understand God, but know this. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. You can't. You can say, I don't love God. Well, he loves you. And before you were looking for Jesus, he has always been looking for you. Romans 5 tells me that. So count of three. Just a moment here. I'm going to I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And if that's you, if you say, Pastor, today I'm putting my faith in Jesus, I'd be honored to pray for you. I'm not promising you that all your problems will go away. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. He is a God who will get you through the trouble. He will pull you through the seasons. He will direct you through. He's a light to your path. He's not going to pull you out of it, but I promise you he will go with you. And that is the way to live. That's the only way to live. So on the count of three, if you're in here and say, I need Jesus, today's the day. I put my trust in him. I let go. Would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anywhere else? Balcony, just pop it up and put it right back down. It's just you signaling heaven. Eyes are closed between you and God. Anyone else? Just say, that's me. Include me in this prayer. Thank you. God, you see our hands. Lord, you know our stories. You've been there with us through it all. Jesus, I pray right now, every hand that was raised, Lord, it represents a heart and a person and a soul. Lord, we ask you to forgive us because only you can. Lord, from this moment forward, we give you our lives. We, we put our trust in you, put our faith in you. And Lord, even though we don't know everything about you, 
Lord, we know that you're good and you're great and you love us. And so we accept it. We accept your love today. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us of our crimes, crimes that we didn't even know at times we were committing. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.